Well, I'm really excited to be sharing this uh, with you this afternoon. And uh, I hope that this will really encourage you, whatever stage you're at as a church, uh, that this will help you to build something that is functional, but also highly prophetic. That's what we're on about. I want to talk about developing a prophetic culture. And I'm not going to start with lots of Bible verses convincing you that prophetic culture is needed or that prophecy is good in the the local church. I'm going to assume that you've already satisfied that one in your own minds and that actually you just want more of it. So I'm not going to spend lots of time setting out the stall in that way. Uh, There's limited time this afternoon and I don't want you to sit for hours to talk about this because this is a big subject. So I also want to recommend to you Chris Vallotton's book uh, called The School of Prophets, uh, Advanced Training for Prophetic Ministry. And as a church leader you might think, well that doesn't apply to me. Well it really does because you need to understand the foundations that are required for prophetic ministry to work and function properly in the local church. And chapter 7 in particular of that book I've just found one of the best uh, bits of writing I've seen on the subject. The chapter is called Building a Prophetic Community. And that's kind of what I want to touch on today, uh, but mostly speaking from my own experience and what I've been learning, but I can add to Chris Vallotton's as well, humbly. Uh, so uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about my story. I've been leading Jubilee Church in Sullyhole for around seven or eight years, and uh, it, was prob- it has been probably one of the most challenging uh, parts of my life, doing that. And that's not just, that's, I'm not just talking about leading the church, I'm talking about how I went there. I went to a very troubled church, a church that had had uh, about seven or eight splits before I went there, and there was another one shortly after I got there. And uh, so there was a lot of trouble in the church, there were some serious pastoral problems, there were some serious problems. And when I arrived, there was great excitement because they really thought having a prophet amongst them was going to be amazing. So there was a lot of excitement about that. But as soon as I got there, God said to me, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do any signs and wonders. Don't do any miracles. Just teach. Just teach. Just teach. And so that's what I did. For three years, I relayed foundations. I corrected wrong teaching. And I built conscious. I built culture consciously creating an atmosphere for the Spirit to work in. That's all I was allowed to do. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let me do anything more than that for a period of time. And uh, I was a bit confused about that. I didn't understand why God said that to me. And it was only as I looked back I realised how important it was to get the foundations right, to get the culture right, to contain that which God wanted to do amongst us. Because that church had many different ministries going through, but it seemed like the impact of those ministries was very small, or was short-lasting. And so what we needed to do is to build something that contained the work of the Spirit and what God wanted to do, which is what we then did of the next few years. So what I'm going to say today, a lot of what I'm going to say today really comes out of my experience and um, there's so much that could be said but essentially developing a prophetic culture is a lot to do with the atmosphere that we as leaders deliberately create. Which is why I want to focus mostly on leaders today. If you're not a leader that's absolutely fine but the focus is mostly on leaders. And I want to use the church in Antioch 
Antioch in the book of Acts uh, to give you four characteristics of a church culture in which the prophetic thrives. And then I want to take some time at the end, or we might do it in between, we don't know yet, just to pray for you and your leadership and for the church that you lead. So firstly, and I'd say foundationally, the most important aspect of creating a prophetic culture is to have a culture of encouragement. It needs to start with encouragement because from this foundation all the others flow and that's because prophetic people and prophecy flourish in an atmosphere of encouragement. And it's not just that somehow prophetic people are more insecure than other people. You know, that's often said, oh, you're just insecure, you're emotional, you're prophetic. No, it's not that reason at all. It's because encouragement is the main ingredient and motivation of prophecy. That's why there needs to be a culture of encouragement. So in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, but for the one who prophesies, he speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. It's all about encouragement. There's three different words that basically say the same thing. So encouragement is the life and breath of prophetic atmosphere and it must be the staple diet of the prophetic person. Otherwise they might become negative and critical because the two things feed one another. But it's not enough, I want to say this to leaders, for other people to take that responsibility in the church. For other people to take the responsibility for encouraging people. You know, so perhaps the more sympathetic or the pastoral people behind the scenes. No, leaders need to lead in this and learn how to do it because ultimately it's leaders that set the boundaries of what is cultivated in the church. So this is something as leaders that we need to get hold of, this need for encouragement, this culture of encouragement if we want the prophetic to thrive. So take the church at Antioch as an example. Luke described the church in this kind of shorthand way. Acts 13.1 says that in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. And I love that. I love the fact that the church was described in that way. I, I wonder how your church would be described and wouldn't you want your church to be described like that? Basically saying there's apostolic gifts there. There's Ephesians 4 ministries operating. That's the church in Antioch. You know it. It's the church where there are the prophets and teachers. And uh, there was obviously other gifts there. There were obviously apostles there. There were other gifts thriving there. But this was the reputation that the church was primarily known for, the prophets and the teachers. And I think this is a lot to do with the atmosphere that the ministry of Barnabas created. So here was a man who was known by his nickname. The nickname that the apostles gave him was Son of Encouragement, or that word can be translated Prophecy. Son of Prophecy. Wouldn't that be a great nickname to have? Oh, here comes this Phil, the Son of Encouragement. He's just, I always feel so encouraged when he's around. I always feel life when he's around. I actually do. Uh, But wouldn't that be a great nickname to have? And there was something about this man that released people. He'd done this with Paul when no one else trusted him in Acts chapter 9. He'd done it for John Mark when no one else believed in him in Acts chapter 12. So just think, if son of encouragement hadn't been around, if the culture of encouragement hadn't been around, what we might have missed out on. I just thought that deserved a a hallelujah at least. But you know, neither
neither of these men, neither Paul nor John Mark in their early stages, had done anything worth encouraging. I mean, quite the opposite in Paul's case. You wouldn't really want to encourage him, would you? You wouldn't want to encourage Paul for what he'd been doing. But Barnabas, through his gift of encouragement, created the atmosphere for something to happen. He believed in who they were and not in what they'd done. And this is really important when it comes to creating a culture of encouragement, not just to encourage people on results, because you won't always be able to do this, but to encourage people in who they are or in who you see them to be. You can always do this. So I just want to offer you just quite practically a few thoughts on encouragement now. Firstly, think about how people are welcomed into the church. You know when you get somebody appear on the door, they've just arrived, what is your attitude to them? Well the gift of encouragement means that you look at them and say, well what gifts do they bring? What are they going to add to us? You're interested in them. Your expectation is that they're going to be a blessing to you in some way or other. That's what the heart of encouragement starts with. They're going to be a blessing to us. So think about how people are welcomed. Secondly, make a habit of thanking people for the contributions that they make. You know, whatever, whatever they do, make it part of your culture that you're thankful to people, that you're honouring people for the contribution that they make because this can open the door to a whole load of other stuff and thirdly give give feedback to people but don't just make it general make it very specific so when we encourage people we quite often will say things like you did great today, that was really good but what's more powerful is when you can say you did great today because when you said this, this happened or when you did that, that happened or that life was changed because you said that or you encouraged me when you said that because of what's been happening for me this weekend so thank you so make feedback specific and avoid giving positive feedback and then saying but <laughs> just don't say but don't say that was really good but <laughs> you know some of us who've been around church leadership for a while will know that the but is going to come at some point so look, we've kind of tried to eradicate that word from our language as a church. We don't want buts in our encouragement and our feedback. So say and instead of but. I really like the way you did that. And when you did that, you showed a particular flair or a particular gift. There was a particular anointing on you for that. Encourage what's good. And the other one is just simply be affectionate and affirming. It says, doesn't it, that love covers a multitude of sins. Be affectionate and affirming. One of the things I've learned in leadership is simply to touch people as you walk through the room. And I've learned how to do it consciously. Just be affirming. Just as you walk through the room. Because you can't stop and talk to everybody. There's all sorts of things going on. But just be affectionate. Pause for a moment. Look them in the eye. And just be affirming to them and encouraging. So does anybody need encouragement today? We need encouragement. Every day we need encouragement. So what about creating a culture of encouragement where you go to church and you know today I'm going to get encouraged. That's what we're looking for. That opens the door to the prophetic. 
So the second characteristic of a culture uh, of, of, of um, what am I talking about? I've just lost it. <laughs> An encouragement culture, a culture of the prophetic, uh, and it flows straight out of encouragement, is create space for the prophetic. Create space for the prophetic. So in Acts chapter 13, again, verses 1 and 2, it says that in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. And then it it goes on to say that while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've created them. And so they did. It's just while they were worshipping, they were in the cult, in the context of worshipping God together, they were praying, they were fasting. And then the Holy Spirit is able to speak straight into that situation. So let me ask you then, as leaders, how open are you to prophetic direction? How open is your church to prophetic direction? I mean, can you imagine it? (laughs) You've got Paul and Barnabas as your leaders. You wouldn't want any other leaders as that. And then one day they're worshipping God and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to take the best of your people and I want you to release them now. And you say, well God, have you got this wrong? I mean, we need Paul and Barnabas. Look what we're doing here. Look at this church. How will we thrive without them? But the Holy Spirit says, no, set them apart. I'm going to release them. And this isn't the only example in the Antioch church. What you can see as you read through the story is that there is a genuine openness to prophetic input and direction. It's within their culture. It's part of who they are. And we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit said these words or what kind of meeting this was when they were worshipping. It talks about fasting, which might indicate an emphasis on seeking direction. And if you look at the previous chapter 12, you can see that Paul and Barnabas had just returned from a successful mission. We don't know exactly what kind of meeting this was. But what we can see is that there was space within their worship, within the context of them meeting together for the Holy Spirit to speak to them prophetically. So is that in yours? Is there that space in your church? Is it part of your culture? Do you create space for God to speak like this? Well, how do we do this? Well, I want to say, first of all, some things that it's not. Creating space is not giving people a time slot in a meeting when they're expected to prophesy or expecting them to prophesy on demand like some kind of prophetic vending machine. <laughs> Any of us that have been involved in prophetic ministry will know the look that you get. Across the room from the meeting leader, the eyebrows are raised, the questioning glance, now would be a good time. Can you come up with something now? It would fit in. The slot would be good right now. Don't do it. Don't just create a slot for the prophetic. It just doesn't work like that. Well, not if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying anyway uh, if you put your people under pressure to perform at best what you'll get is their opinion at worst well you know what prophetic people can get like and neither does creating space mean phoning people at the last minute to get a prophetic sign off 
That's just paying lip service to the prophetic. It's where, where the decisions have already been taken and you just think, well, it'd be great to have a prophetic word to confirm that if we can get it. I've actually been asked to do that before now. Don't do it. It puts the prophetic person in a very difficult position and it won't be from God. And the other thing to say about this is that most prophetic people are best at helping to create the future, not to undo the past. That's a different gift. And some prophets do have that. Jeremiah was one of those to root out, to tear down. But not many prophets have that gift. So, um, it's not... It is the gift of prophets, but it is not part of the general prophetic stream within the local church. So if you're considering a change of direction, involve some of them at an earlier stage. Because it will be very difficult for them to get on board afterwards when the decision's already been made, especially if they don't feel it's the right thing. So what does creating space for the prophetic within the local church look like? Well, here are some thoughts. Firstly, it's not just about Sunday meetings, but all meetings. So in every meeting, whether it's a meeting with your worship leaders, small group leaders, small groups, eldership teams, or you're just meeting somebody for coffee, one of the things I love to do is I love to meet people in their workplace and go out for coffee with them, take them out for lunch. I love to see them in their context. And even in those meetings, be open to the prophetic. So I'll ask questions like, what is it you think God's saying at the moment? What's he saying to you? What's he saying to the church? What are you feeling at the moment? about this area of ministry have a prophetic conversation don't just make it about a prophetic word and make it known that you're keen to hear from them and to be led prophetically you know a lot of prophetic people or almost all prophetic people that I know make their best contributions in a relaxed environment and I've been learning and I learned this from actually Dave Devonish that prophetic conversations are some of the best times for hearing from God together just talking we're just talking and yet suddenly the wisdom of God comes into a situation and breakthrough comes so for that to happen there needs to be an ongoing relationship there needs to be connection points uh, with your prophetic people if you do give space for prophecy in Sunday meetings and I know that not all churches do that. You get different stages and different sizes. And I know it's not always easy to do, but if you do, and I know it can be tricky at times, but make sure that you affirm what is being said. Pick up on it. Explain it if necessary. And value the contribution. More about creating space is taking words that are brought seriously. Show humility in taking seriously Paul's command not to despise prophecy. So that means weighing words, first of all. Weighing words. So we, uh, our habit is to do that as a team, as a leadership team. And we would include our wider team in that as well. Uh, but... Um, We also make sure on the back of that how important we feel that is to the rest of the church. 
So we record important words, we transcribe them, we even send them around the church, and we keep a written record, particularly of somebody who's visiting the church, prophesies over the church, and a, a, a prophetic ministry comes in, we'll take that very seriously, and then seek to implement it. And the ways that we can implement it is to quote those words in preaching, in leading. Uh, We've preached sermon series on the back of prophecies that have been brought to us as a church. Teach it, unpack it and explain it. Look for ways of implementation. And also letting words of of, um, prophecy fuel prayer and prayer meetings and vision talks. One of the things I love to do when we do our vision talk every year is to go back over the year all the prophecies that we've collected and just try and read again what God has been saying to us and then speak it out as the vision for the following year. And the next thing about creating space for the prophetic is allow for a variety of ways of hearing from God and the prophetic gift. And I say this because in New Frontiers churches historically, my observation is not a criticism, it's just the way things have been, is that there has been a tendency to prefer certain ways of prophesying that are very word-based. You know, I've even heard prophecies picked apart based on a misquote of scripture or a misunderstanding of some theological point and then the prophecies thrown out. That's not the point, you know. There are different kinds of prophetic gift that we need to embrace. There's, there's variety within the body. Just as every one of us look different, sound different, act different, there are different kinds of gift that we need to learn to recognize. So there are uh, people that are apostolic prophetic, and they will often speak about the foundations over in the church, and that bit needs laying over there, that bit needs extending over there. There's be always about the foundational parts of the church. They'll be constantly going on about foundations. Apostolic, prophetic. New areas that need developing. New new things that are coming. Watch out for them. Apostolic, prophetic. There are teacher prophets. And they'll come in and they'll say, there's this part of teaching missing. There's a part of teaching missing in this church. So I went into a church a while ago and I said, you really need, looking at your people, you need to do some stuff on identity you need to teach into this you need to keep teaching into it or there's pastor prophets and their function is what piece of care is missing what's missing in the church what healing is needed pastor prophetic they they're often the most sensitive ones and they're some of my favorite people we've got a few on the front row here evangelist prophets say that piece of community we need to be reaching evangelist prophetic will speak into the pieces of community that are missing from the church so we've got a young lady in our church she's a teacher and uh, we sat down with her one day my wife and I and I said do you know what you are incredibly prophetic I said I just know you are I know because every time I pray for her the Holy Spirit is all over all over her the stuff that she says you know the way that she is you're incredibly prophetic I said how can we get more out of you 
in this whole area of prophecy. And she says, well, I don't really think I am that prophetic. Not many people who are truly prophetic think they are. They think everybody's wired that way. So I said, well, how can we help you to bring more of what's going on inside you? And she said, well, I don't know. So I said, well, let's do an exercise then. I said, okay, there's my wife sat next to you. Why don't you uh, just pray now and see what word God gives to you? Just listen to God and see what he says to you. She sits there for a few minutes. It gets more and more uncomfortable. So in the end, I said to her, so uh, you got anything? She said, nothing. Can't hear a thing. I said, okay, okay, try something different. Put your hand on her and... uh, start to prophesy what you feel because she's maybe not a hearer, she's a feeler. So put your hand on her she puts her hand on it, nothing a little bit, little few kind of sweet things that she says about my lovely wife which are completely understandable but nothing really prophetic. So I thought, oh dear what's going on here? Can you sense anything? Mm, a bit. And I said, well okay, open your eyes now look at her. Tell me what you see. And within seconds there's a down load from heaven and she starts describing my wife, she starts describing her ministry, starts describing her future. I said, this is exciting. Right now, look at the church. In the spirit, turn and look at the church. We meet down there. Look in that direction. What's God showing you about the church? Immediately she starts speaking about the church. She sees its heavenly position. She sees what's going on. She sees the spiritual dynamics and before we know it, the presence of God has filled the whole room. My daughter walks in, she turns and she starts to prophesy over my daughter because she found how her gift works and so as leaders we need to learn how to allow variety, how to unlock variety how to understand different types of prophetic people and create space for them to function, now for example with seers, let me just throw this in for free, with seers they tend not to prophesy long prophetic words they tend to just say I see this and then you kind of go oh so we need to learn how to handle that and how to then unpack it what does that mean how do we work with that what is God saying through that that's relationship that's relationship that needs building so that's creating space for the prophetic So the third and crucial part of creating prophetic culture is uh, freedom to fail. Freedom to fail. And there needs to be a culture of freedom in this whole area of failure which is very, very hard in a Western mindset. Because it involves risk. It involves the possibility that it might all go horribly wrong or even worse for some of us for some of us actually going wrong isn't as bad as downright cringy and uh, and of course this aspect of, of culture is much broader than prophecy freedom to fail the possibility of failure has to reach into every aspect of church life we've got to get over the fear of failure the fear of people messing up the fear even should I say of sin the fear of sin, we can't even talk about it we don't want to be contaminated by it and if we're going to move out into our communities we're definitely going to have to sort that one out the fear of failure 
So what is our attitude of fa- to failure or making a mistake? And again, Barnabas helps us here, and it concerns the young man, John Mark, whom Paul and Barnabas had taken with them from Antioch as their helper in Acts 13.5. But in the story, if you read it there, you can turn to it and read it later, but in there, John Mark let them down big time. He goes out with the apostles Paul and Barnabas, and he lets them down big time. Basically, he runs away. He deserts them in Pamphylia because he was afraid. Because there was persecution breaking out and horrible stuff. He got afraid and he ran away, which put him in Paul's bad books. I don't think Paul was very happy with his failure. But Barnabas, it says, wanted to give John Mark a second chance. And you know, that's the heart of God. That's the Father heart of God. He's the God of second chances, isn't he? And we need to be careful as leaders that we can allow second chances. People to mess up and then have another go. That's John Mark. And Paul wasn't having it. He wouldn't agree with Barnabas in this. He didn't want this culture. He wanted perfection for some reason. Something that God needed to deal with in Paul, which we see at the end of his life he had dealt with. But in this particular moment in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas had their sharp disagreement over this issue. There were all kinds of other issues, but this was the issue that they disagreed with. And they parted company with Barnabas taking John Mark and Paul taking Silas. But Barnabas' investment pays off because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul specifically asked for John Mark to be sent to him because he says, he's going to be helpful for me, to, to my ministry. And he shows obvious affection. So what had happened between those two things, we don't know. But we know that Barnabas was in between those two moments. There's something that Barnabas again unlocked in a man that had failed, in a man that had blown it, and a man that was restored and useful now to the apostle I want to be that kind of person I want to be that kind of leader to be able to take people like that and restore them and if we're going to see more of the prophetic in our churches we need to provide a culture of freedom to fail because by its very nature prophecy is incomplete it's it's not without error So in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, We know in part and we prophesy in part. And that's not necessarily because of a wrong heart or a wrong attitude or a wrong motive, although it can be. But as one writer says, prophecy can be impure. Our own thoughts or ideas can get mixed into the message we receive, whether we receive the words directly or only really the sense of the message. Very often prophetic people get the sense of the message but not the full thing. That's why we need team. We need one another because other people in the team have the other parts. There's nothing more exciting than prophesying together in team. It's a really good example in Acts chapter 21. It says that Agabus prophesied that the Jews in Jerusalem would bind Paul and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. But it wasn't actually true. It wasn't actually accurate, I should say. What actually happened was that the Romans, not the Jews, banned Paul. And the Jews, rather than delivering him into the hands of the Gentiles, tried to kill him. So it was the Jews that tried to kill him, and he had to be rescued by the Roman army. So it's completely the wrong way around. It wasn't the, the Romans that were a problem, as Agabus had foreseen. It was actually the, Rome, uh, the Jews. 
And it was quite different then from what Agabus had said, but it wasn't that far off. And you could look at what happened and you could probably explain what had, what had gone on is that Agabus had had a picture, say, of Paul in a Roman prison surrounded by an angry mob of Jews. And he could have easily had the correct picture, but the wrong interpretation, that it, thinking that it was the Jews that had put him there. So perhaps it was the interpretation, not the revelation, that was wrong. So I encourage you to look at that for yourself a bit later. I know I've rushed through that. So that's in Acts chapter 13. So possibly, because of inaccuracy or the possibility of error, Paul tells us that prophecy must be weighed. In Acts 14.29, that means to listen carefully and sift the good from the bad, rejecting the rest. Mr. Wayne Grudem himself says that. But you might think, particularly if you're risk-averse as a leader... Well, why bother with prophecy then? Isn't it safer just to not do it? I've got some sympathy with that. So, uh, I better say something about it then. Because I've actually come across that mentality, why should I bother? Isn't prophecy just too risky? No, because apparently Paul commands us to not put out the Spirit's fire, to not treat prophecies with contempt, to test everything and hold on to the good. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19. Paul commands us not to put out the Spirit's fire by doing three things. This is how we obey the commandment. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything and hold on to what is good. And what I just want to say there is don't stop at number two. I think we can do one and two quite well, actually. We can obey. Do not treat prophecy with contempt. Okay, I'll listen. I'll see what this is about. Secondly, test everything. And then it doesn't get beyond test everything. But Paul says there's three steps. Test everything and then hold on to the good. He doesn't say anything about the bad or the wrong or the inaccurate. He says hold on to the good. So how do we create a culture of freedom to fail? Well, the first thing we need to do is to teach into it and keep reminding people about it. Teachings around who we are in Christ and God's grace are really important grounds for this particular culture. Teaching around sin and punishment is an important thing to teach people because God doesn't punish us when we fail, when we mess up, when we make mistakes. So we shouldn't punish one another either. So teaching. And watch language as well. Use, use language that's helpful to create this culture. So using the language and practice of let's just have a go. Let's see what God does. Have a go at prophecy. Uh, I've done. I've worked with Julian a few times, and he he used to shock me. Well, he still does actually, but uh, he used to shock me, especially in the early days, where he'd say, "Right, I want you to prophesy now." And I said, "Well, I haven't got anything." He says, "Just make it up. Just make it up." 
And uh, there's a have a go attitude about it. There's a kind of step out in something and see what happens. And it amazes me how time after time making it up has sometimes proved to be some of the most significant prophetic words I've ever brought. So... Yeah, but use the language and practice of have a go or make it up. Uh, prophecy and hearing God takes practice, and it also involves taking large steps of faith in order to do this, as we know. And it means overcoming fear. And our fear of failure is a big stronghold in our culture. So we need to work against us, we need to teach into it, we need to keep reassuring people, we need to keep encouraging them to have a go. And the third point is uh, to uh, handle prophecy well. We need to handle prophecy well when it is brought. We need to model how to weigh prophecy, uh, to be okay with inaccuracy and even to expect it. So our practice is always the host of the meeting will always try to help the prophetic word to make sense to people, help to ground it, help to encourage it, help to explain it. So even if people are nervous and they don't do a very good job of communicating, that you can bring the nub of that out to help it to be heard. Uh, We've worked quite hard on this as a church to such an extent that it's even quite fun to make a mistake. So a few months ago I said, look guys, I just feel like I've got a series of words of knowledge but I'm a bit scared. So do you mind encouraging me? Because I'm going to step out. And then before I knew it, the church was shouting, come on Rob, you can do it. Come on, we love you Rob, we love you. So I got step out gingerly. The first one nobody responds to at all. Nobody responds. So I keep waiting. I said, are you sure? There must be somebody with that. Are you sure? Please, even if it's slightly like that, nobody responds. Blanks faces until eventually there was an eruption of noise and cheering and clapping as the church rose to the fact that I stepped out and messed up. And then I brought two brilliant words of knowledge and they didn't respond at all, hardly at all. They were absolutely spot on, but they were more excited about the one I got wrong than the two I'd done right. So now I think, well, this is going to be good. I'm going to step out and if I do it wrong, I'm going to get more encouragement than if I get them right. So, hey, who can lose? (laughs) So that's that's a good thing. And then the the last thing is about failure is have a go yourself. (laughs) Have a go yourself, leader. And you might not be the most gifted person, and as I've said, sometimes the most encouraging thing you can do is to mess up, because then it creates space for others to have a go. Okay, so finally, fitting in with this kind of have-a-go feel, the fourth thing I want to say about creating a prophetic culture is about feedback and training. I've already mentioned feedback already and some guidelines on that. So feedback, first of all, just make sure you do it. And we can all give feedback, even if it's from the point of view of how it came across. So you might not be the most gifted prophetic person, but you can help them to understand how it was communicated, how they could have communicated it more clearly, um, and you can advise around that area. So don't allow the... I know this is often said to leaders by prophetic people, oh, you don't get us. You don't get me. You don't understand me. You don't understand the world that I live in, and the spooky things I see, you're never going to understand it I'm the expert kind of implication coming through, don't be intimidated by that, 
Because whatever spiritual experiences some people are having, if they can't communicate so that others can understand it, it's a waste of time anyway. So don't be intimidated by that. People, Prophetic people need to learn how to communicate, how to use language that the maximum number of people can be built up, edified and strengthened by. And I've got to just say that as a prophetic person, I have used this argument myself in the past. I've complained that nobody understands me out of frustration. But in the end, it's not justified because, you know, we do have to find a way of making ourselves understood. I don't hold to, I just want to, uh, it's a bit of a soapbox thing this for me, but I just don't hold to the eccentric and strange prophetic thing uh, that makes prophecy and the supernatural all so weird and supernatural, uh, all kind of mysterious. Learn to communicate or don't, is what I'll say. And I had a guy leave my church on that a little while ago. He insisted on doing weird stuff, and I said, we don't do that here, you better find somewhere else. Um, training, just to finish on training, uh, it may not be your area of expertise on the prophetic, but people will be encouraged anyway if you encourage them to get training. And it doesn't have to be you. You can send them to other places outside your church. You can build relationship with prophetic people outside your church who can help you come in translocally and help you to establish a prophetic ministry in the church. I just want to encourage you to do that, actually. I think there's a misunderstanding about translocal ministry, that it's about having the prophet come and do the stuff and everybody get excited. No, it's not about that. Prophets are there to build up the church there to bring the church to maturity and certainly what God is doing these days isn't the man at the front, it's everyone can do it and that's what we're about here, that's what we wanted to do over this this weekend is to release that amongst you So, uh, but the other option is to send people away for training uh, so I've, we've already heard about Bedford's prophecy school uh, prophecy conference and Horsham's uh, prophetic academy they're great courses but I'd also say slightly mischievously perhaps but don't just send other people go yourself especially go to the prophetic forum I know many leaders have found it helpful to hear things from a slightly different point of view and see some wild stuff and get blessed anyway Okay, so that, that's it. Just let me conclude, just remind you of what I've said. I've talked first of all about these four characteristics of one, encouragement. So I want to just say to you, take responsibility for that as leaders. Take responsibility for creating a culture of encouragement. Secondly, create space for the prophetic. And I don't just mean formally. Sunday morning is when we do it, no other time. Informally, make it part of your culture, part of your discussions at church. And thirdly, freedom to fail. Model this yourself. (laughs) Talk openly about failure. That's scary, isn't it? Tell them what a failure you are. Tell them how you messed up. It does something, unlocks something for us, especially in our culture, in our British culture. Teach into it and do it yourself. That means fail. 
every now and again, publicly, in front of everybody. And if you struggle to do that, ask God to do something in your heart. I love what um, we've picked up a bit on uh, the phrase that King's Arms use, which is, it's about courage, not success. That's what we applaud. That's what we encourage. We applaud you for stepping out and taking that step of faith, more than the fact that you actually messed that up, but that's okay. I loved it last night when the kids brought their word of knowledge, that the little girl who had nobody respond to her word of knowledge got the biggest cheer. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And finally, give feedback and training. Don't be intimidated about it, even if you're not the most gifted prophetic person yourself. Now, of course, if you haven't created the culture that I've described in 1, 2, and 3, and you just try and start the other end and give feedback and training, it's not going to work. So work on encouragement, work on creating space, work on freedom to fail, and then that will open the door for feedback and training. Amen.